I think if I just limited myself to being an athlete, I'd be doing a disservice to the other demographics that I represent. I'm a wrestler. I'm a former West Pointer. I'm an army officer, you know, all these different, um, like intersectionalities that are composed within me and everyone has their own group of intersectionalities that they, uh, they represent. And so that's how you, if you want to create understanding about something that you do that's outside the gym, the CrossFit box is a great space for it because of, again, what you said. So that's kind of, it's not a responsibility, but it's an opportunity that I think should be recognized and capitalized upon. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. In this week's episode of Pursuing Health, I am sitting down with CrossFit Games athlete and Army Captain Chandler Smith. Chandler attended West Point where he studied American politics and Spanish, and he also competed in wrestling. And while he was there, he received the Warrior Athlete of Excellence Award in recognition of his mental toughness, coachability, perseverance, and athletic skill, if that tells you anything about him. In 2012, Chandler first set the goal of qualifying for the CrossFit Games in 2022. He ended up achieving this goal three years early by qualifying to the Games last year in 2019, and now he has his sights set on climbing up that leaderboard. He made his first splash onto the competitive scene at the 2016 Atlantic Regional, where he had some outstanding performances and narrowly missed qualifying to the Games that year. Then in 2017, an injury resulting in the loss of part of his ring finger cut his open season short, and in 2018, a deployment to Bulgaria meant work took priority over his training. When he returned to the States, Chandler resumed his focus on training for the CrossFit Games and ultimately qualified late in the season through the 2019 Rogue Invitational. Today, Chandler is a captain in the United States Army, as well as the officer in charge of the U.S. Army Warrior Fitness Team. Here we talk about what his 2020 training season has looked like and how he is feeling just weeks before the 2020 CrossFit Games. We also talked about how his experiences in the Army have helped him grow as a competitor and his perspective on how CrossFit can improve its diversity, equity, and inclusion. I really loved chatting with Chandler and getting to know him better in this conversation. He has a huge heart and his passion and energy are infectious. I hope you enjoy listening to this one too. One exciting announcement we have this week is that we are offering an opportunity to all of you to try out any of our training programs for free for two weeks. So starting today through September 14th, you can sign up at pursuing-health.com forward slash train dash with dash us for 14 days free of any of our three training programs. The morning five, which is five minutes of movement sessions to start your day, no equipment needed and can be done by beginners or advanced athletes is one option. We also offer Train for Life, which is a 30-minute, five-day-per-week program that focuses on home workouts that can be done with a simple equipment list such as dumbbells or kettlebells. This is a great one for beginners or those who are just not able to get into the gym to train every day. Or you could try my advanced program, Train with Julie Fouché, which is the same exact training that Danny and I do every day, including five one-hour sessions as well as one active rest day every week. With each of these programs, you'll also have access to exclusive Q&A sessions that we do every month with our members, discount codes to products and services we trust and use ourselves but receive no compensation from, 
and access to our engaging online members-only Facebook groups. So again, you can visit pursuing-health.com forward slash train dash with dash us to learn more about each of these programs. If you've been thinking about it, this is definitely the time to give it a shot. And if you sign up before September 14th, you'll get two weeks for free. Looking forward to training with some of you guys soon. Before we dive into the episode, we do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. We recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. Now, let's get started with the episode. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm super excited to be here with Chandler Smith, just a few weeks away from the 2020 CrossFit Games. So how are you feeling? I'm feeling just the right kind of beat up. You know how it is as, uh, as the games get closer, the training gets progressively harder and harder, and um, you almost want to feel poorly because that means that you're inducing enough stress to where you're going to be able to make the adaptations to make you successful come game season. So I think I'm in a good, good space. That's good. You want to know that you've done everything you could to prepare, but you're maybe getting to the point where you're going to start peeking out and that's exciting too so yes ma'am um and we just talked about this before we started recording but you have recently been in nashville training with um brooke and with will morad and i just moved to nashville and we kept trying to coordinate maybe there was a time where we could do this in person but ultimately realized probably not a good idea even though i have no uh reason to believe i've been exposed to COVID. i don't want to be the one who's giving it to you weeks before the game so we settled for the virtual podcast version, but what has that been like? Um, just training leading up to the games. It seems like I know you were out with Catherine and Ben recently. What has your training looked like in these past couple of months? It is. Uh, it's been pretty varied uh, between like my my day job. We we train full time for that, and then also like bouncing around with folks with different kind of training ideologies and methodologies as much as I can uh, in accordance with getting tested. Um, people always, you know. Don't think that I'm getting tested, but it's been pretty frequent. And I, I'm sick of getting my nose tickled, but it's either here nor there. Uh, it's always really good to, to kind of get your biases exposed. Um, so ever since I have been started taking CrossFit seriously, um, I've always driven to go train with athletes who are better than me. And as I've – it's something that I always feel brings out the best of me just to be put in kind of a uncomfortable situation in which you're forced to adapt outside of your normal routine and prepare for kind of some of the uncertainties that – come with competition. So it just brings out the best of me competitively and also puts me in that game time situation. I think leads me to be the most prepared. So it hasn't been the most, uh, you know, periodized um, or progressive training, but I think I need a a big dosage of CrossFit right now uh, as I get closer to to the games. And I've definitely been getting that because all those folks that you mentioned are extremely, extremely fit. So it's been fun trying to keep up with them. That's awesome. Well, I know this has obviously been a very crazy year um, and, you know, we're going into a game season that looks totally different than we could have expected. And I want to dig into 2020 a bit with you later, but I thought let's start first with some background about you. So can you talk about where you grew up and what your childhood was like, what things you were into? Yes, absolutely. Um, So I was born in Gainesville, Florida. My parents were finishing up, uh, I think they're first set of secondary degrees at the University of Florida. Dad played football there. They both uh, met and went there, and my dad was out of the league. He was playing in the NFL at the time, but he was out of the league that year. And um, 
you know, I bebopped around a lot. My dad played from 1990 to 1998 for five teams in the NFL. And so we kind of traveled around for that. And then um, after the conclusion of his playing career, he became a coach and a strength conditioning coach. He was with the Broncos for most of the 2000s um, towards, I think, 2007. He got the head job with the Chiefs. He had another head job with the Titans. He's back, or with the Texans. He's back with the Broncos now. And uh, so we kind of moved around a lot for then. So I said, kind of grew up between Denver and Kansas City. Um, and then I had just typical blank slate childhood, whatever, play sports, have fun, beat up my little brothers until uh, I started wrestling my freshman year in high school. I met some, um, our team captain was a, a kid who was getting ready to go to West Point, and our assistant coach was a, former West Point wrestler kind of set me on the path to continue to want to go to uh, the United States Military Academy, which I did. I walked onto the wrestling team and uh, wasn't good enough to keep wrestling after college. So I started CrossFit and here I am. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, that's the whirlwind. Um, well, I guess you would say a, a typical childhood doesn't sound super typical moving all around with your dad, you know, playing in the NFL and coaching, but what, what do you think? And I know, I think you've, I've heard you say your mom also was a teacher. So I'm interested how you think, you know, your parents and sort of their roles, um, how that shaped your direction in life or, or where you've gone today. I think uh, it's, it kind of led me to the, the current point um, where right now I help like coach and program for the Warrior Fitness team. And as a platoon leader, which was the, the main job that I've had in my time as uh, officer of the United States Army, like you coach the soldiers kind of under you. You're also learning a lot because you're new to the Army. Um, and you're also like, you know, teaching and also learning um, the skills of whatever platform you're on. And in my case, it's armor. I'm an armor officer. So that means like I worked with tanks and everything. And so it felt very much like a synthesis of the coach and teacher role that I saw my parents embody for my childhood. And I still got to be really physically active, which was awesome. That was a big part of it too. So um, I've been very happy with how the Army's kind of allowed me to do a little bit of everything that I learned and got to see growing up. And even though I've kind of more specialized on the, the physical side of things, I feel like I got kind of tested holistically uh, over the course of my time so far. So it's been, it's been cool to see that borne out, I think. Did you ever think that you wanted to play football like your dad or how did you end up in wrestling? I ended up in wrestling because I was not good enough to play football like my dad. Of course, I wanted to, to grow up and play in the NFL and all the other coaches' kids played college football and I was a big old disappointment. But uh, I really, I liked playing football and basketball. I wasn't good enough to make the basketball team my freshman year of high school and I didn't want to do winter weights. So that really left me with exactly one option because we only had two winter sports and I started wrestling as a, as a backup plan. There's not a lot of spots in the NFL for guys who are 5'5", 155 coming out of high school. So. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But it sounds like wrestling has had a huge impact on your life. And, you know, you ended up wrestling in college and it sounds like some of the mentors that you had through wrestling are how you got into, or, you know, thought about going to West Point. Did you, you know, what, that's obviously a huge decision and, a, you know, not very few people take that route. I'm interested if you've had any other, you know, military in your family or, or who were the people that really influenced you to go that direction? Yeah, so we've actually had a lot of military in my family. Um, it's like a, a, a fair sprinkling of pro athletes and uh, military folks. So I always think it's funny that like, I'm kind of, again, the combination of uh, both of them. So my grand, I think my mom's father was definitely, uh, he was career. Um, I think my dad's dad had a quick touch in. My aunt, my mom's 
both my parents are uh, well there's only one um sibling between the two of my parents and my aunt is is still currently in i've got multiple cousins who are in like just a very very big army family um across the board especially on my mom's side so that kind of guided things from an early early standpoint um and also too like you said the wrestling piece i had mentors in high school that helped uh you know guide me towards west point um and then once i was at west point i'm wearing the army west point wrestling shirt like it was it's probably the most influential thing i've done that's helped set me on the path towards being a good athlete i would say i was a good officer but i'm i, I think my my uh what is it called evaluation reports would beg to differ so i'm not gonna lie and say i've done an incredible job so far but uh mentors like some of the guys who are seniors on the team, Jimmy Rafferty and Michael Gorman, and some of the guys that I had a chance to work with on the wrestling team are, are really what continue to motivate me now. Because especially in my current situation, I've got a great job where the Army you know, pays me full-time to train. And I recognize that that's a very easy job compared to what a lot of people are doing in the Army. And I take that responsibility pretty seriously because I've been around so many guys who are at the kind of like the edge of danger and who maybe don't have it as easy as I do. And I always try to make sure I'm keeping my current status in perspective and recognize one opportunity I have. What, um, how do you think your co college experience at West Point? I'm, I mean, I know it's very different from a typical college experience, but what are some of the key ways that you think it's different? And then what are some of the biggest lessons? Or you said it really put you on a trajectory for the rest of your life and your career. What, why, or how, what are some of the important lessons you think that you learned there that now, have helped you today? Uh, it's incredibly competitive um, from a, like a whole person standpoint. So there's a, there's a ranking system, which you're measured against all a thousand of your peers academically is ac academics forms the majority of uh, the ranking and then also physically and militarily. So your performance is constantly being assessed by peers, seniors, and subordinates for how, how you're doing. And uh, that makes it to where you kind of internalize one of the things that we kind of take seriously as an army officer corps, which is that like you're an officer 24 seven. Um, it's not really something. And we, we try and make comparisons to professions like, you know, being for being a doctor, if you're called upon, if you see somebody who you're able to help, even if you're not in your work setting, right. You're like, you're obligated on the hip credit go to like help them. Um, I think it's kind of a similar mindset, like that you, it's not something you can turn off when you're in a profession and that mentality is kind of bred in you. Um, even when you go back home, like you don't have to go back home in a uniform when you're starting off and it just kind of turns you into someone who is on point all the time for trying to put forth the army values and be a, be a leader in whatever situation you're called to be on, even if it's not within a traditional army setting. Um, and it also too came without a lot of distractions. You know, there's not uh, a lot of you know, opportunities to party or do some of the other things that I think folks at other schools might have as a distraction. So because of that, uh, I really was able to just focus on school and wrestling. Um, I got to ignore all the silly stuff that other people do, like develop social skills and make friends and enjoy their time. I just got to get really good at doing sprawls, which turns out it's pretty similar to burpees. So I guess it paid off. <laughs> Very important skills to have too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, and you mentioned that you, you know, you wrestled all through college and then at some point CrossFit came into your life. How did that happen? Um, so I started training CrossFit before I went to West Point. I uh, was like looking up, you know, I went, I think I went to Google and typed in like military training and, you know, you click a link, you click a link, it takes you to CrossFit. I watched a video of uh, Spencer Hendel doing a 
185 snatch or something at a sectional back in 2010. I was like, this is cool. I want to do it. So I started doing it in my basement back in 2010. Um, I did it all through my senior year of high school, which was 2010, 2011 to train up for wrestling. Um, and then I, tra- I trained and competed, used it like in the off season. Cause there's not a lot of clubs of like older dudes who just are like, let's meet up and wrestle. This doesn't happen. So kind of had to think outside of the box for staying in shape. Um, during my college years, which I did through CrossFit, competed a little bit. And I knew in 2012 when I watched the games. So hello again, which is also <laughs> surreal, surreal moment. Um, you know, 2012, I watched the games and I was like, I think I want to do this down the road. Cause I don't think I'm going to be good enough to continue wrestling, um, and like make an Olympic team or something. So I decided kind of at that point, I was like, I'll give myself a decade to make the games and kind of knew immediately after my senior season was complete that I was going to direct all those physical energies I had towards trying to become a professional level CrossFit athlete. Wow. And you mentioned, I've heard you talk, you know, a million times about your goal initially setting that goal 10 years to make the games. You said, okay, in 2022, I want to qualify for the games. And I know you have a very deliberate and disciplined process for goal setting. Um, Can you talk about where that came from? Is it something that you've always done? Did you learn from your parents or how do you, how do you approach setting goals? Um, so I think it started going into middle school and there was a Bible verse in Habakkuk two, two, three that said, uh, like write the vision down on tablets and make it known so that he may see it and run from it. And I thought that was cool. I think somehow the message had tied it into, to goal setting. So I wrote down some initial goals at that point and those went well. And I kind of just continued to really be obsessed with the idea that if I wrote something down, uh, there wasn't really anything that could stop me from doing it if I because if I wrote it down I was able to break it down to smaller goals it was probably really weird for people to be looking at this you know 12 year old who had like this goal <laughs> broken down the sub goal thing but um, it's pretty young to be starting with goal setting like that but it's that's awesome it's always been a nerd I suppose so kind well, of just been doing it for most of my life it's funny that you say that because I think for me that's how my CrossFit games career started too was I had watched the 2009, yeah, the 2009 games, they were at the ranch and they posted the videos afterwards. And that year they published on the game site, a list of all the, you know, top male and female athletes, what were their average scores for a bunch of benchmark workouts and then their fastest, like who was the fastest. And I posted those up on my wall in my room at college. And I remember when I first looked at them, I'm like, there is absolutely no way I'm ever going to be able to do get these numbers but like sure enough as the year progresses you start checking them off and then next thing you know you're at the game so it is really powerful to put something in writing and to look at it on a regular basis. absolutely and that specific example is really funny too because i remember there being infographics that came out every year there was a red dude on one side and a blue female on the other side and it had all their lifts and i had that exact same thing as my computer background for a couple of years in college so that's really funny to hear yeah it's powerful. same thing yeah absolutely so you um, you had the goal of qualifying the games in 2022, but obviously you did that a little bit early. So and now it sounds like you're, you're focusing on winning the games in 2022, correct? I think so. I think that's the plan. That is awesome. Um, well, so when you started, you know, you finished wrestling and you said, okay, now I'm going to put all my energy into training for CrossFit games or training for competition in CrossFit. What did that look like? How did you approach it? How did you break it down? 
So from um, kind of being adjacent to my father for all those years, I feel like I had a pretty good understanding of strength training. Um, we also took our lifting pretty seriously because we weren't good at wrestling. So we at least wanted to look good. And that was kind of something we pride ourselves on as army wrestlers. And uh, so I had a good understanding of strength training and from the wrestling side of the house, I felt like I had a good idea of conditioning and something that's still, I mentioned earlier, you know, I kind of try and get away from my biases. I, uh, I think I bias pretty heavily away from CrossFit in comparison to most high level CrossFit athletes and do a lot more traditional strength and conditioning, only integrating CrossFit, integrating a lot less CrossFit and integrating it a lot later um, as part of like my peaking process in comparison to some other athletes. So, um, it looked like lifting really heavy all the time and then going on army runs and doing a bunch of burpees for most of, um, like probably that first year, I think I dabbled with Invictus and then I started my misfit adventure back in 2015 as well. Um, but was like, if I saw something that had a movement I didn't like, I just wouldn't do it. And, uh, I'd just go run instead or something. So you know, it is just mixing things up and guessing. Yeah. And what was your life as far as your work in the army like during this time? And how did that, you know, mix in with your training? So in the summer of 2015, I started the armor basic officer leadership course at Fort Benning, Georgia. And, um, it's a four ish month, closer to five month course where you learn how to, um, be an armor platoon leader and, you know, kind of, maneuver your four, uh, your four tanks that are composed your platoon and also kind of some of the basics of what will be expected from you from a paperwork and personnel management side as a platoon leader. And in that time, you know, there's standard morning PT that everybody does together in a traditional army PT sessions about an hour long. Um, you do some stretches, you normally go run or do some sort of circuit. You do some more stretches at the end. Um, your ability to get, High level intensity and volume is not really up to you if you're not programming. So at Bullock, which is what that uh, that BLC is called, at Bullock, I kind of was just trying to go as hard as possible during the morning sessions. And then for the evening, instead of doing, again, I mentioned there's a lot of distractions and things that I find to be superfluous, like studying or preparing myself for the next day, I would just go and hit the gym and again, do burpees. So um, that was kind of the strategy during that, that point in time. Um, but I, I did build a pretty big base of fitness then. And I didn't know how good I was going to be in relation to the field until I went back to West Point as a graduate assistant for the second semester after I completed Bullock. And that's when I made regionals back in 2016. And uh turns out that the burpees and squads program was a good call. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of your first splash on the scene of CrossFit Games competition. And you know, crushed some workouts and then ended up sort of barely missing qualifying that year, which was, you know, six years ahead of your goal. But what was that experience like? And then how, you know, after taking that experience into consideration, how did that change your goals or your approach to training moving forward? The, the experience was incredible. Um, I'm sure you had a moment too, when you, when you're actually on that stage with the people that you've been looking at for years and years where, it's like, I can't believe this is really happening. And that was kind of my attitude the whole week and probably to my detriment to where I wasn't really focused on competing. I was too busy being like, I got to shake this guy's hand and get this guy's picture and, you know, yeah. focus on a little bit on the wrong things. But it was a really good experience to know that I could compete and win against some of the best in the world at some things already um, that early into my career. And it didn't really change much for the long-term goal because the long-term goal was always done with uh, a normalized army timeline in mind. Um, and 
if I wasn't in the position I, I'm in now, I'd probably be lining up to take command of a company, which is an extremely time intensive uh, job. And you do that for normally one to two years. And during that time, um, you know, I've had some commanders who were able to train pretty hard, Cat McClan, Cat McFadden, stayed in great shape. But normally you're just focused on dealing with um, all the craziness that comes from having oversight over, you know, 100, 100 young army soldiers. So uh, I wasn't expecting to be able to train hard again until 2022. And I knew that I was leaving my GA job and I was headed to Fort Riley, Kansas to go be a platoon leader. And I knew that I wasn't going to have as much time as I'd had before. So I kind of just was like, this was a great experience. Hold on to this memory as motivation to know that I can compete and can hang, but it's probably going to be a while before I get that opportunity to do that again. And it turns out that that was right. So, yeah, it was. So, you had, you know, 2017, 2018, you um, didn't really compete on the regional c- scene, and you also had a lot of other things going on. So, what happened during that time frame? Um, 2017, during the Open, I, I was able to do a few competitions, like taking pass. Again, had some good leadership that allowed me to work around my army schedule and still kind of pursue my individual goals outside of the army. Went to Wadapalooza. We won the team of three, which was a really big moment for me. And I felt like I had a good chance to do well in 2017. But uh, first day of the open, there was an accident with the tank piece and I ended up losing part of this finger here and it broke a couple bones and there's a whole, got to see it left, left ring finger, lost the end of it. Uh, so that was the end of the 2017 season. And then um, in the fall of 2017, my unit did a rotational deployment to Bulgaria primarily. And uh, we were over there. We did not really have um, like, you know, access to across the gym. And you're also working a lot more because the uh, the tempo of work is higher and you're working seven days a week and things were just kind of a little bit different over there. So 2018, I competed I was able to do the open again, thanks to leadership help and facilitate it, but, um, missed, um, was the third guy out worldwide just happened to land in the hardest region and, um, missed regionals that year as well. So it was kind of, um, I was like, oh, maybe this is just going to be something that has to wait for a while. And I was pretty frustrated. Yeah. It sounds frustrating, especially after you had that taste of it being at regionals and doing so well, and then sort of having to wait until you could get back there. Um, and I know, you know, when I first saw you compete and when a lot of people first saw you compete was at the Rogue Invitational in 2019 when you qualified to the 2019 Games. So how, you know, what was going on during the 2019 season? So at that point in time, I was in what's called the Maneuver Captain's Career Course. And it's a course I was getting ready to get promoted to captain, which you normally hit at your four-year mark in the Army. And, um, you know, you learn the basics of company command, very similar to the basic officer leadership course experience I was describing earlier. and. I had a little bit more time to train. I had a little bit more freedom because as a captain, you, you get a little bit more leeway in what you're doing. So I got to design the PT program for my small group. Um, apologize to those guys for making them do some <laughs> probably pretty crazy stuff. And I had a good group of friends um, that we all trained together. We called ourselves the Hearts Like Nuclear Reactors crew. And it was one of my college roommates and a couple other buddies. And they just uh, were always down to you know train at all the goofy hours that we had to. There was a couple home gyms that were made available. And it just basically was uh, the only time, the first time in a, quite, a, quite a while that I had the ability to train consistently and not worry about going to the field or, um, you know, some other army um, responsibilities that took away from my ability to train like a, like a high-level athlete. So they, uh, they helped me prepare for Rogue and ended up going and really surprised myself. I was not expecting to, I was not expecting to make it even a little bit, but um, yeah. Well, you know, what was it like then when you knew you were going to the Games? 
Um, it felt like I, I still had a lot of pressure. I think anybody who's a high achiever in their field, you know, is always putting a lot of pressure on themselves. And I don't think I even really got to enjoy the moment because I knew that we had uh, a test on <laughs> coming up on that Wednesday and we like had driven up all night um, and like we're driving back to, to get there and I was super tired and like wasn't prepared for the test. So uh, I didn't, I didn't feel um, that I ever really got the chance to celebrate that because immediately it was, Oh, you have to prepare for the games and you had less. It was one of the last sanctionals. You yeah. have a lot less time than most of the other athletes. You have to recover from rogue and then also train for the games, which you've never done before. But luckily Fort Benning, Georgia is within driving distance to, uh, to Atlanta and training think tank, Travis Mayer and Max O'Hage. And they were really kind and, helping me learn what it took to uh, be a games little athlete, what that training looks like. Wow. That's awesome. I can relate to that. I think sometimes like being at the games or doing something and then having homework to do or having to be back. Yeah. It's always a rough, a rude awakening. <laughs> yep. And you get back and you're like, you know, you f- I, f- I remember feeling like I'd done something and a couple of guys were like, Hey, that, like, nice job this weekend. So if you're like, what would you do this weekend? Uh, I was like, Oh, I went to, I did this like competition and they're like, Oh, cool. And, you know, to get back to doing the work. And I was like, I felt like it was a big deal, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is within our space. It's not outside of it. And that's also always good to, uh, have the reminder that we're working on more important things, um, in the, in the army and, you know, the kind of, that my, my job at the time was not to train and it was cool to do well and everything, but I still had a, a job to do as far as trying to pass this course and be ready to be a tank company commander. So. And I think sometimes it's good too to have other things instead of just focusing on training all day, every day to have other areas to focus your energy can sometimes be helpful. (laughs) Yes. Um, So then tell us about your experience at the games. What was that like last year? Were you happy with your performance? What are some of the biggest maybe things that you were different than what you were expecting it to be? I was first, I was very happy with my performance. Um, I'd wanted to take 13th. I took 15th. I feel like that's more or less the same thing. Um, I don't remember how I arrived upon that number specifically, but I felt like I executed well. There was a couple of workouts that didn't go well, but I was mostly proud and something that's, that's been the biggest struggle for me in my whole athletic career is managing my, uh, like the mental side of the game. I think I've had, I have like the physical capabilities, probably the physical capabilities to be a better wrestler than what I ended up being. And, um, you know, the mental side held me back. And I think that was something I struggled with a lot for CrossFit competitions as well. But at the games, I, uh, there were situations that, you know, I would normally would have been upset with, or maybe I didn't feel were, were fair, but I've kind of really worked on internalizing the idea that for every bad bounce you get, you get a good bounce. And I had, I think I, at the games, honestly, I had more bad bounces than good bounces, but I took them in stride, didn't let it throw me off my, uh, my, my game. And that, that growth as a person, outside of my, my growth as an athlete is something I can be proud of, proud of and, you know, use that to help my entire actual life um, going forward. So that's what I was most happy with after last year. And that's huge. I think, especially in your first year, because there's so many, just like even the little things of knowing how, what the flow is like and meeting all these people and there's just so many unknowns. And so I think, especially in your first year, it's really hard when things don't seem to go your way to just let it roll off your shoulders and not get, um, you know, let it go and be able to focus on the next event. So that's awesome that you already were able to do that in your first year. It was, and it definitely wasn't me. I said too before, um, I've always been able to go and train with folks. When I was at Fort Riley, I would drive and train with Jacob all the time. I've been 
driving to go train with Travis and Max since 2015. I've hung out with Noah. I've, you know what I mean? I've, I've got a chance to be around a lot of high-level athletes. I did a couple of camps going into the games last year, too, to where um, the lessons that those guys had learned were imparted on me to where some of the, I didn't have to learn some of the things for the first time at the games. Like I was taught it before I had the chance to go out there, which, which made it kind of a little less intimidating. And I think I owe a lot. I had my best event at the games was my first event. Then I don't think that would have been expected, but the moment like didn't get to me because it was something I'd seen before. That's awesome. It's true. You can, I think, learn or you can accelerate your learning as an athlete or just as a person by surrounding yourself by other people who have already you know, been through the things that you're going through or who can teach you so that you don't have to learn all those lessons yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, and that's, I think, one of the cool things about the CrossFit community in general, but the games athletes, especially, I think people are very eager and willing to help each other be at their best. So super cool. Very much uh, so. So tell us about the Army Warrior Fitness Team and what is your role there? Or um, so I'm, I'm currently um, assigned to Fort Knox as a member of the United States Army Warrior Fitness Team. We are a United States Army Recruiting Command initiative uh, that's targeting and looking at um, young military age males and females within uh, the fitness sector because they're more likely to be able to bypass some of the problems that the general population has as far as meeting health standards, um, staying healthy during basic training, and then also understanding goal setting and uh, just being generally physically fit. They have a lot of, there's a lot of traits developed inside of gyms, especially CrossFit gyms that translate well into soldiering. And so we think that there's a opportunity for a lot of um, cross, cross connect connectivity with um, those athletes. And so we go out into space, we compete, we're like a strategic level asset. Um, so we you know, kind of bring hopefully national attention to the United States Army and just create some positive impressions to where, you know, it's not, it's normally not the moment where you walk to a recruiter uh, that you decide that you want to join the Army. It's, you know, if you've seen the Army in a movie or there was a lot of moments that built up to it. So we try to create a lot of those moments that, that positively build up uh, the reputation of the United States Army. So that way when discussions do come that involve the Army, if it's you having a discussion, hopefully, when you go and you speak with your husband about the army going forward, you'll be like, "Oh, I talked to Chandler. He was really long-winded, but he seemed like a nice guy." And you know, so by extension, the army is you know maybe a, a you have a positive memory of the army. <laughs> That's great, and I think I know already talking to people um, who've seen you compete in CrossFit. That is one of the things that they really take away is how you know they really appreciate your dedication. Um, to the army and bringing, you know, bringing more awareness and seeing how passionate you are about that. Um, so just by, you know, having the platform that you do now competing in the CrossFit Games, obviously, I'm sure there are a lot of, you know, young people looking up to you that maybe will consider being in the army someday, which is super cool. I hope so. But even, even bigger than that, I think having seen my dad get the chance to be a professional athlete, the, um, you know, they might choose to do something else, but hopefully there's lessons learned in how I conduct myself, how I treat other people around me, like the things outside of competing, um, that I try to make sure I'm doing well, that they can take and go forward. Like, you know, the dedication to doing things the right way, um, treating people with respect, no matter who they are. And just also trying to work on being a good communicator, acknowledging what you're bad at, all these things that are not, you know, directly related to fitness that I, I try to be open and honest about are things that can help folks no matter what it is that they're doing. So even if they go to be I mean, 
God forbid they go to be sailors or go to the Naval Academy or something, uh, that they go and they do a good job of it. So hopefully it's a bigger impact than just helping the United States Army. That's awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about just this past year because it's been crazy for everybody. Um, but if you could take us through sort of your experience of 2020, we started out, you know, you think, I don't know if you had a specific strategic plan in terms of qualify. Are you qualified through the open or qualifying for the games or what the game season would look like this year? And then, you know, once COVID hit, what did that look like in your day to day life? Um, so I, for this year, I did qualify through the open. Um, I was set to go to Dubai. I went there briefly, didn't compete, came back. I got the chance to go to mayhem. I won that too. I wasn't really sure if I'd qualify through the open because that process was a bit convoluted at the time. And I felt like I had some security there and I was set to go to, um, a couple more sanctionals again, like as, as part of the USAWFT, pretty much any competing offers a chance for positive promotion of the army. So uh, I sought to take advantage of that by competing pretty frequently. And um, at that, and the week leading up to it, my brother was down here for spring break. And then things kind of, that was the week in March where NBA shut down and a bunch of states started uh, taking COVID more seriously. Um, and at that point, I didn't really have a set plan of how I was going to respond or how the team was going to put together safety measures um, that would allow us to still hopefully train and work to meet our our mission of being competitive with the best athletes in the world while also keeping folks safe. Um, but it, it bounced pretty well in my favor where I got the opportunity to uh, take a couple pieces from the gym to the house and began the process of building a home gym through that. Uh, Rogue also gave us equipment for the Invitational uh, a little bit later, bought some stuff, like put just put a bunch of things together to where we ended up building a pretty cool gym at uh, my friend Shark we call him shark Andrew, uh, his garage. And, um, so we called the shark tank and nice. my brother was here for the whole time. My roommates, my, my best friend, my other buddy had, and we were all here and, um, just training really, really hard. And it actually ended up being, um, something that I didn't end up personally getting too negatively affected by, which is really a blessing because of how significant it's been to, you know, the economy and the lives of so many folks and across, across the world. But I ended up in a very fortuitous situation where, I was able to continue to train at a high level and also um, enjoy my time a lot and experience a lot of personal growth because I was around people who cared about my personal growth and uh, took the time to help me make the strides I was looking to make in that area too. So That's great. That's great that you were able to train and do the things you needed to do, but also spending quality. I think that's something a lot of us have been able to appreciate during this time is spending more quality time with people you know, in our household or whoever we were you know, stuck at home with. So. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So then, so, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was saying silver linings for sure. Yes, for sure. Um, so then we get to June, which was a crazy time for the world, but also for CrossFit. Um, you know, we had George Floyd's death, we had the riots and then, you know, Greg comes out with his comments and, um, I think you were one of the very early CrossFit Games athletes to, speak out and say, I'm out of the games. I need to see some change. So can you take us through what, you know, what was going through your head? What were you, it was a crazy time for all of us, but what was your um, vantage point at that time? I think uh, for the longest time within the community from, from my general understanding, um, folks hadn't really felt that they had any agency to impart change um, for something that they cared very deeply about. And everybody across the board, obviously Greg loved CrossFit more than anybody. It's his baby. Um, he had every right to 
do whatever he wanted to do with the business. Um, but I felt myself and Noah actually were, Noah was one of my best friends. We talk almost every day and we felt that we had a unique opportunity to kind of use our position as athletes of some status um, within the community to help kind of bring about some sort of change that would maybe help s- support the restoration of um, the reputation that had been damaged through um, CrossFit's perceived lack of concern over the social issues that were, you know, pr- the central, like the central focus of the national discussion at the time. So um, we felt like that, that was the best way to kind of make our, our concern felt. And then, you know, we were joined by a few athletes in the immediate aftermath and Chris Diarmo and Travis. And I think there had already been brands and other partners that were pulling out, but the, the totality of that group effort uh, was really kind of inspiring to see people, you know, putting, putting themselves at risk. I know for, for us at the time, there was, there was nothing else that was going to happen outside of the game. So we were losing out on the chance to compete, receive the promotion that comes from competing and also like the financial compensation that would come from that. But it seemed, and it's it still in my mind, you know, was, was worth it to know that going forward, if the games continued to exist in the, in the format that it had or with the same leadership, we at least would have done what we could have to try and change it. And that's like something that, you know, you can sleep well at night knowing that you, you didn't kind of lie, go out lying down and you did attempt to make a change with something that you care about because that's what you do with things that you care about. Like you work to per um, work to keep them going. Yeah. Well, so much respect for that because I know, you know, it's easier to do once you see a lot of other people doing it, but to be the first ones to, to start that movement, I think takes a lot of courage and especially knowing, you know, how big a part of your lives and how much time and energy you guys have put into training um, to be ready for the games and to compete in the game. So like you said, there is, there was some risk involved, but um, it ended up really triggering a lot of positive change in the organization. So much respect for that. Um, I don't think it's fair to say it. Tri- I think it assisted. I don't ever want to, you know, say had an outsized role, but yes, like, I mean, cause you, you know, within your space, you were making the same, the same decisions as well and putting your career and things that you, your reputation with, with, um, CrossFit HQ and like that, that branding at, at risk. So I, I always want to make sure like everyone gets credit. There was affiliate owners, there's brands, there's folk employees, like across the board, people kind of voted with their feet and that made a, a huge difference. A huge difference. And it's so true. There are so many stakeholders in CrossFit and the fact that we saw people from all of these different stakeholder groups taking action, I think together, you know, and the, the, just the unique, of the time and all the different things going on, I think is what helped us to actually make change. So, so then you hear that, you know, Eric Rosa is buying the company. He's going to be the new CEO and he invites you to the CrossFit community summit in Boulder. So talk to us about that. Like what, what was your first interaction with Eric? And then what was that experience like being at the summit? Uh, so my first interaction with Eric was I was lucky enough to get a phone call with them. And, um, you know, leaders time in the army is very high. It's, it's prioritized by echelon. So if a general shows up 30 minutes late, they're on time. And if the general tells you to be somewhere, then you get there 15 minutes before the 15 minutes for the 15 minutes. You're, you like have a, a lot of respect for these people time and you don't really receive too much of it. I think like even within, um, 
sometimes like when you wish that you could, you just don't get the chance to talk with really high level folks. And he said that we were going to have a phone call lined up and I was expecting the chance to talk to him for 10 or so minutes. We ended up talking for an hour plus uh, about all range of things related to CrossFit. And I was like, wow, this guy actually cares about my opinion here in a way that I haven't felt in really any capacity um, ever. Yeah. So it was cool to, to feel like, oh, I'm, I'm valued. Um, and so we, we discussed that. And then later I received the invitation there. And that was also pretty significant too, because there was, you know, every, everyone who's anyone in CrossFit, I had another one of those moments that I had in the 16 regionals, the 19 games. So I'm like, wow, that's, that's Chuck. That's Dave. I'm sitting with Nicole, like a very surreal moment to, you know, be included in the conversations with these folks. And, uh, I, I know like that, that kind of helped make a, I'm a lifelong CrossFitter as is and will always be a fan no matter what was going on with it because it's something that I've put so much time and energy in, into that I, I wanted to succeed. But, um, you know, f- feeling like I had and have a, the ability to help push things forward and that my opinions are valued and um, making CrossFit better definitely made me like that's that's what I felt for the entire time out there and maybe an even bigger fan of CrossFit and, and of Eric Rose specifically. So. I was super energized coming out of that for, you know, the future of CrossFit. That's awesome to hear. Um, I know that there were discussions at the summit uh, specifically about diversity, equity, and inclusion that you are a part of. And can you share what some of those, I mean, obviously not share the things that happened in the discussion, because I think that's something special that happened there, but what are some of the big, um, like the biggest issues that CrossFit's facing for DEI and how, how do you think that we as a CrossFit community can be better? So I'm going to give a, like a superficial answer. And I think if I explain it more, it'll make it sound a little deeper than what it'll initially sound like. But I think the discussions are a, just having discussions about it when it's kind of been understood, known for a while that maybe at the high levels or across the board um, really like, the CrossFit demographics don't reflect general American demographics or, and it's similar uh, across the world because, you know, there's a few factors that people are quick to point to, like, you know, the relatively high costs and kind of just the general culture of shoes and, you know, um, just to where maybe it's a little bit more expensive, like, and that's something you see in other sports uh, that have a kind of high price point for entry. So like that's the, the service level answer is that there, we've started discussions about it, but those discussions, I think, lead individuals to be able to make the difference at their level, which is, I think, how you actually initiate change in, in any sphere. So you're, you being a, someone who promotes DEI in your space looks different than how it does for me because you have a different audience, like maybe in, if in a hypothetical, if Nashville is a super receptive city, you're able to communicate better than I would be in, a, in an area that's not. And so I think by having discussions to make people aware that there's there are problems um, with representation within CrossFit. There's also problems with socioeconomic mobility in the United States writ large. There's also problems with um, accessibility of CrossFit worldwide. By making people understand that these things exist, they get to maybe they get to the next point. You're, you introduce them at that point. They get to the next point of understanding uh, why kind of these things happen, uh, and then you get them to the next point of how they can do their part to fix it at their level, whether that's being anti-racist and, um, you know, they hear a racist joke and they say, Hey, like that's, that's not the way that, um, I don't think it's funny or, you know, doing what they can to help change people's opinion there. They have that 
racist uncle or sexist uncle at Thanksgiving. And, you know, they're able to have a conversation there that in, in the positions that only they can communicate. Cause I can't communicate with the sexist uncle in the same way that the nephew can. So, um, having just by bringing these discussions into the space, we're turning the space into a place that can in turn impact outside of the, the four walls of the CrossFit box because people have an understanding that these issues exist and that they have the ability in some capacity to help fix these, these problems. So I, I, mo- I mostly see it as um, CrossFit can, because of how many cultures and people intermix and how open and friendly people are within the gym, it can become a place where these discussions are had. And then the discussions that are had in CrossFit gyms can go out and then help make the world a better place through burpees. Wow. <laughs> That's really amazing i think and that's such a great point that you know crossfit has such a great way of breaking down barriers between you know bringing all different types of people into the box that normally maybe wouldn't interact and you know going through this experience it's very um humbling and makes people vulnerable and and it allows people to connect in ways that maybe they wouldn't otherwise and so then the concept of then using that as a catalyst to bring it out into all of our lives outside the gym, I think is super powerful. So that's, that's a really, really cool concept. Yes, ma'am. I, and I think that's something too, within how I operate personally. Um, I, I don't think, I think if I just limited myself to being an athlete, I'd be doing a disservice to the other, um, demographics that I represent. I'm a wrestler. I'm a former West pointer. I'm an army officer, you know, all these different, um, like intersectionalities that are composed within me and everyone has their own group of intersectionalities that they, uh, they represent. And so, um, like that's how you, if you want to create understanding about something that you do, that's outside the, outside of the gym, the CrossFit box is a great space for it because of, again, what you said. So that's kind of, it's not a responsibility, but it's an opportunity that I think should be recognized and capitalized upon. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, all of us have all these different, identities like you mentioned that kind of you know we're all unique because we we wear these different hats or we have these different identities um you know obviously you are one of the few black male crossfit games athletes out there how has that affected your experience as a games athlete i think it it adds to the sense of responsibility that i've felt for a long time um in some of the rooms where you know i look around at at a certain class in my high school, went to a Catholic Jesuit high school, and maybe I'm the only African American there. Maybe I'm the only African American in some of the situations I've been in the army. And so I feel like there's always kind of existed, and it's probably something that's pretty common within a minority for any space where you feel like you have uh, the pressure of your entire subgroup kind of resting upon you. And given how important CrossFit has been in my development as an adult, as an athlete, as a leader, I, uh, again, I take that responsibility super seriously because. Um, if it's not me, there's, there's a bunch of people who are looking at me directly because I do represent, um, one of the identities that they also, they also, um, are part of. And if I don't do it, then there's a good chance that that identity doesn't get represented. Like if I'm not at the games this year, there's no army representation. If I am not at the games, there's no African-American representation. And I take that really seriously, especially again, I keep saying again, and in regards to my conduct, um, outside of how I compete, like the competing part, you know, as long as I'm not winning, no one's going to remember if I finished 13th or 15th, it doesn't really matter. But, um, if I'm competing with class and treating people with dignity, folks will remember that. And having that reflect well upon those different groups does a lot to open the door for increased conversations about, you know, 
some of the problems that maybe occur with representation with some of those groups um, and just makes it to where people they're they become available to hear what it is that uh, I or others have to say about other issues because I've done a good job of representing for these groups that they might not understand. I love that. And I love how Eric hit the town hall too. He talked about role modeling and how important it is for us to have like diverse role models within the CrossFit community so that we can, you know, bring in a diverse group of people into our community. And so, you know, I think that's a lot of what you, what you touched on, you know, having people who are in the army, having, you know, having, and, and really highlighting all of the different identities that the athletes have, I think is really important in order to, to inspire the next generation, basically. Yes. And I know uh, I mentioned earlier that I, the Spencer Hendel video is what kind of got me started. His dad was an NFL player. So, you know, there's that connection there that I'm able to make with him. And I know that there's a lot of people who, because of how the, the visual aspect of me being dark skinned African-American male, like there, if you're just flipping the channels and you see if I'm a younger African-American kid and I'm flipping and I see the guy who looks like me, there's automatically something that's created there without even necessitating a audio story being told. It's just like visually, I see that person looks like me. If he can do it, I can do it because he looks like me and that, that's like an easy bridge to cross. Um, so it, it's something that will always, whenever I'm thinking about taking the easier way out or not doing something the right way, I recognize that that person might not ever get the message. Um, you know, this hypothetical kid who's flipping channels might not ever get the message if it's not from me because I am the only person representing a few groups right now. So I take it really seriously. And it's interesting what you said too about the visual aspect because in how, you know, maybe without even telling the story of you're in the army or these other roles that you play, because I think for a lot of people that is, that is a reason why we are not reaching an, a whole group of people. Like there are, there are definitely people who are maybe older or people who are maybe more overweight who are not seeing people like them in a gym. And so they're thinking it's not for them. And, and so there's so many different ways that we as humans just automatically identify with people who look like us. Um, It's just, it's such a, a a great point that if we can, if we can highlight, you know, how different our community is and how anyone can be a part of it. um, I think we're going to be able to bring in a lot more people. Something that was mentioned frequently um, at the summit in Colorado was the importance of, of storytelling. And I think, in some way, both of us were drawn in by CrossFit Media, which, you know, at its most robust, did a, a phenomenal job of growing and promoting the sport. And even if they don't return to how it looked previously, I think, um, you know, the recent reduction in numbers has maybe indicated how important that was. And if we can get back to telling the story and not just the easy stories, but showing the stories of kind of some of the underrepresented groups that you don't see as much of it in, in the spaces. Like that's how the sport will continue to grow because it's kind of, uh, it's, it's a little bit saturated with, you know, people who are fit and young and that's good for the, rec- the recruiting side, like my, my day-to-day job. But if we want to continue to grow, which I want this to do because I think it changes lives of people of all shapes and sizes, um, that's something that's going to get better at. So I can do that personally in my level by working on uh, my ability to, to storytell and share accessible messages, but uh, hopefully that's something that we continue to do as a brand going forward. Yes, I totally agree. I, I loved, like, I mean, like you said, the media department at Speak was just amazing, but I always loved 
the commercials they would play during the games where they're showing, you know, like the 90 year old, hundred year old guy doing CrossFit or, you know, whatever's happening in, in it, in the boxes around the world. And, and I think that those stories are so powerful and so emotional and can really, um, help people to see all the different facets of what, what CrossFit can do. Absolutely. Um, so you said, I, I read this in an interview that you did. You said before that in college, you studied American politics in Spanish and you had a goal of becoming a politician in an urban area and making fitness knowledge easy, easily available. Is that still a goal of yours or where, where did that interest come from? Uh, the interest came from not being able to speak Spanish to the <laughs> girl that I had a crush on in sixth grade when I told her that I was fluent in Spanish. Um, that's I'm being really honest. So that kind of kept going. And um, I did feel like I thought, I thought I'm going to get nerdy here and I'm going to mess up some of it. So someone who's smarter than me is going to be upset. But there's a, a, a theory that I learned about in high school on uh, the, the ways that humans are able to positively influence the space of their work in is either through political, social, or economic capital. Um, I didn't ever see myself as someone who like really was money focused. So I didn't see the economic capital as a viable path for me to make a, dis uh, a difference. And then in social capital, I was a weird kid who just rode his bike all the time and wrestled. So that wasn't happening. So basically was left with political capital. Um, and you know, within the army, as you gain rank positionally, like you get, you know, a semblance of political capital to where you're able to influence policy, uh, to, make the world a better place around you. And I think I did not know that the opportunities I would have from a social capital standpoint would increase to where they have now. So I think the the goals have changed, uh, or excuse me, the the means to that end has still changed. Like I still want to be able to uh, positively influence folks' ability to have social economic mobility. So if that's in helping provide education, helping provide life skills that um, support climbing up the ladder for people who would be disadvantaged and maybe don't have role models or opportunities that uh, would best allow them to be successful. Like, I don't know what the specifics of that look like, but I do know that is the end goal along with being a kick butt husband and father um, down the road. So all of that is still the same, but I had the, the joy of working on both sides of the aisle uh, for a couple campaigns in high school and college and I decided that business super sucks and I don't want anything to do with it. So <laughs> I will not be a politician. That's fair. That's fair. And of course, you, among your things, you said husband, father, and also fittest man on earth 2022. We have to put that one in there. <laughs> um, what is So I, I was looking at your Instagram and you use this hashtag B H A W a lot. What does that stand for? Uh, I would, show it on my arm but this shirt's too tight because i have it from high school so it's like there's the b-haw tattoo it's super dark um it's brotherhood heart attitude warrior it's the uh like the the motto of the army wrestling team um and that's always something that's really been important to me i think i did not know what i thought i knew about hard work or suffering or discipline or any such such any if i have a good attribute i probably learned it in the army wrestling room from um, some of those folks I mentioned earlier, just the general difficulty of trying to um, get through that and then also maneuver through West Point. So it's something that's really important to me. And I always do that as a shout out to those guys because I want to help continue to bring awareness of how important it was in my development and um, hopefully convince the next generation of people who are maybe actually good at wrestling 
um, unlike me, to go to Army instead of, you know, that goofy place in Annapolis or any other options that they have that aren't as good. Oh, that's funny because I had a couple of friends who wrestled um, at um, the Naval Academy. So, but I don't, I have no, I have no allegiance either way. <laughs> okay. All right. I was like, ah, I have to go. My mom's calling me. Or... Like, Thank you to all of you for your service. <laughs> but them less, obviously. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yes. And obviously wrestling seems to be such an amazing uh, background for CrossFit. I mean, we see so many people who have done wrestling in any capacity, whether it's in high school or college that end up being fantastic CrossFit athletes. So obviously there's something to do with this suffering aspect <laughs> that really makes you good at CrossFit. I think it's that. And then also because you're too small to play real sports, you're also the right size for CrossFit. So. <laughs> Maybe there's something there too. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I want to start wrapping up with three questions that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. So first question is, what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? Reach out for emotional support. Um, not being too afraid. I had a difficult time coming back from Europe specifically. And that's when I learned to be a little bit better about reaching out. So that would be number one. Two would be continuing to do physical activities outside of my job. So it's very easily crosses my hobby. It's also my job, but I do jujitsu. I play recreational basketball poorly. Uh, I do a lot of other things like to that are fun for me. And three, I, I wish I was healthy enough to like say that I do something with eating or a positive answer. Like I, heard, I had a plan to say something about that because I've been counting macros, but I got yeah. off today. So I guess today would be a um, being forgiving and understanding that like as long as I'm being consistent, I'm moving the needle in the right direction, but allowing for you know, failures. If I have a day where I need to take a day off because my body hurts or because I want to eat a burger, um, allowing for some latitude there. So latitude and this and discipline, although still staying disciplined, um, the whole Give yourself some grace. Yes. Yeah. I think those two things kind of come together. Love it. Well, this might be kind of going to the next one, but what's one thing that you're working on or something you think would have a big impact on your health, but you haven't really, um, implemented it yet? food thing i'm the worst eater uh high level crossfit games eater i don't know about that there's some pretty bad no i can guarantee it uh i know this because every time i go to competition someone tells me that my normal competition intra workout meal meal is uh, a pretzel ideally from wawa's if it's up in the northeast um a reese's fast break and uh some coconut water those are pretty consistently like the only things i eat i routinely under eat i eat way too much junk food i'm terrible there was a period of this year where i had a reese's every day for four months um so i started people always you know are quick to play the genetics card and they're absolutely right um for the food stuff and it's i've been counting macros pretty consistently for the last couple of months because i recognize you know i can't have a, a hole in my game like I, I can't say that i did everything if i'm eating like someone who's still been hurt by wrestling and the dieting that I did for that. So um, tightening that up is something I'm working on and I think will help me out a lot because I do such a poor, have traditionally done such a poor job of it. For sure. I think it's a, I think it's a common trend though among, especially I'm, I'm just going to say it, the male <laughs> CrossFit athletes, because um, you hear it, look at like Matt Frazier's story, his first few years competing, he was in college and he was eating out of, you know, fast food and gas stations and whatever, and not eating enough. 
And now that he's got Sammy cooking all these amazing meals, he's, you know, doing a lot better. So maybe that means there's a lot of untapped potential that you have here. That's what I'm hoping. I, I was just, for the last few years, I was selectively throttling myself down just to, you know, keep expectations low, but I think I'm ready to, <laughs> and this is kind of serious, but I feel like I was af- afraid in some capacity to be like, what would happen if I really did do everything correctly? Um, Cause at that point, you don't have any excuses. You're either good enough or you're not. And I think I'm getting a little less afraid of that now and open to doing that as well. And I also have less vices than Matt. <laughs> yes. Well, we're excited to see where that takes you. Um, last question is what does a healthy life look like to you? Healthy life is one that includes balance. So that's not what I'm living right now because to be really good at something, I don't think you can have any element of balance, but um, it's balance and prioritization of the people who are most important to you. I think I really had the opportunity to realize that on that rotational deployment to Europe where I spent, I had a few good friends um, over there, but broadly speaking, I spent a lot of time from friends and family and that affected my physical health in ways that I would have never been able to, you know, anticipate beforehand. So to me, a healthy life is one where you're, you're not overdoing anything because I don't think that really is what your body's designed for. You're designed to do a lot of things well and enjoy them. And then also the the element of being around people um, has effects on your health that really can't be measured. So mixing balance and being around good people is health to me. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your story. And I know we're all rooting for you here in a few weeks. Obviously, it's going to be very different than last year with you competing. Now, are you going to be competing in the garage? Or are you going to ha- are you going to be at a gym? What are we- what can we expect for this online? I'm heading down to uh, to training think tank with Noah and Travis. Um, just trying to, you know, hopefully one of those guys, it won't be me, but hopefully one of those guys will be in position to take one of the top five spots and they can guinea pig me and throw me at the workouts first. Or if we're live streaming, um, then I'll be next to them and get to compete with two of the best guys in the world. So my really good friends. So that's the plan. Sure. And don't sell yourself short. I don't know. I think a lot of people think you can be in that top five. So we'll see what happens. They shouldn't do that. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chandler. This has been great. I appreciate you taking the time to chit chat with me and give me the chance to share my story with some folks. Thanks so much for tuning into the episode. As always, I'll recap some of my biggest takeaways after the conversation. My first takeaway was about the power of goal setting. It was amazing to hear Chandler talk about how his habit of detailed goal setting started at such an early age for him and how powerful it's been in his life. I know I've seen this in my own life when I do put pencil to paper, write down those big goals and break them down into sub goals, but it's something I could definitely do more often and this was a great reminder. My second takeaway was about the importance of surrounding yourself with people who will push you outside your comfort zone. Even before Chandler qualified to regionals for the first time, he had reached out to other CrossFit Games athletes and trained with them, and he continues to do so today. Just in the last few months, we've seen him visit CrossFit New England to train with Katrin David's daughter and her coach Ben Bergeron. He's trained with Brooke Wells and Will Morad, and he continues to train closely with Travis Mayer, Noah Olson, and others. By surrounding himself with people who have already achieved what he is aspiring to or who will force him outside his comfort zone in different ways, he's been able to push the boundaries of what he is capable of physically and mentally. 
And then my third takeaway was about the importance of embracing your many roles and capitalizing on opportunities to increase understanding of others. Chandler talks about how he is an army officer, he's a West Point graduate, a wrestler, a son, a CrossFit Games athlete, a brother, friend, and an African-American male, among others. I love how he's used his platform as a CrossFit Games athlete to further awareness and understanding of the army and his experience at West Point, and how he's used his role as one of the few African-American CrossFit Games athletes to increase understanding as CrossFit transitions to new leadership. I love how he said that it's not a responsibility to use our roles to increase the understanding of others, but it's an opportunity that we all have in different ways, big and small, that we can capitalize on if we want to. I hope you had some great takeaways from this conversation too. 